Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today, I've got a great conversation with Trevor Shackles of Silver 7 Sens and the Cost Per Point cast. Um, we talk about all kinds of stuff, including what the Sens should do at the trade deadline, uh, the Crystal Milanin situation, um, the defensive situation, and more. Uh, lots lots of conversation, lots of great stuff. I think you will all enjoy it. Um, apologies for not putting out an episode over the past couple weeks. I think it's been probably two weeks since the last one came out. I've just been a little busy with school, and when you have one game in 10 days, it doesn't uh, doesn't exactly lead for a ton of different storylines to talk about. So um, uh, today it felt, like a, it felt like a good time to record. You know, there, there was a couple more games. We didn't really discuss the games too much. Um, I've been trying to figure out, you know, the, the format of this podcast and just playing with different things. So uh, I'd always, as always, I'd love feedback if you have it. Um, you know, let me know if you like breaking down the games more, what happened, you know, people's play over the past four or five games, or, you know, if you like looking at the bigger topics or uh, when we look at the bigger topics or, or a mix of both. Um, I'm always open for feedback and, and new stuff, as well as if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, give me a shout. Uh, you can find the podcast at Last Word on Sends on Twitter or me at NHL Sends and stuff. And uh, either way, um, if there's anyone you'd love to hear, or like to hear, uh, give me a shout and I'll do my best to make it happen. So, um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I think going forward, I'm still trying to do weekly episodes. Might be bi-weekly as we get into the summer here, um, you know, with a little less content to go. But, um, yeah, thank you everyone for the support. It means a lot. You know, uh, followers keep going up on Twitter and, and uh, you know, everyone downloading and, and anyone who shares the podcast or even just gives it a listen. It, it means so, so much to me. So, um, thank you everyone and have a great day. Enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you later. Joining me now, he's an Ottawa Senators writer for Silver 7 Cents. He's also the host of the Cost Per Point cast, uh, Trevor Shackles. Trevor, how's it going? Thanks for joining me again, man. Yeah, I'm good, Alex. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Uh, this is the first time I've recorded a podcast, and I would say two, maybe three weeks. Uh, with the giant break there, I just, I, I don't know, I just never got around to it, and school school caught up. So we got a lot to talk about today. And, you know, one of the things, I want to kick it back a little bit with the uh, – uh, Christian Mulan and stuff that uh, happened. Um, this was this is going back. It feels like this was a long time ago. It was only about a week and a half ago that it actually happened. But um, Christian Mulan he got waived um, late March. I want to say about March twenty sixth ish, and he went unclaimed. You know, there was a big. Uh, I don't know if it was a freak out, but there, there was a lot of people not happy. Obviously, I was one of them on Twitter about it. And then uh, a couple of days later, it got announced that he had been traded to the LA Kings for Michael Amadio, uh, who is basically a 23-year-old, I believe, depth forward, kind of looks like an AHL forward. He's had He had some success in the NHL last year, an absolute nightmare season this year, but all his AHL stats were... Uh, kind of encouraging. So uh, I want to get your thoughts on this because I have some as well, but give me your thoughts on the trade and then obviously we can get into the Lennon usage afterwards. For sure. I think the trade itself, you, the writing was on the wall, obviously, like you mentioned with him being waived, Willannon that is being waived before that, uh, you know, we saw that he wasn't claimed and that wasn't totally surprising that, that he cleared just because, <clears throat> you know, obviously they wouldn't have put him on waivers beforehand um, if they were getting lots of offers. So I would assume that from LA's perspective, they did this after he cleared waivers so that, you know, they can freely send him to the taxi squad back and forth. And yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly not the ending for Willannon's tenure in Ottawa that you wanted to see. I think I, I mean, I, I think generally we're, we're pretty similar in, in terms of just like our outlook and, um, valuing players and like I was certainly pretty high on Willannon I know in like 2018-19 
when he played, I think, 30 games that season. He was like one of their best defensemen. And, you know, obviously not a massive sample. That's like less than half of a season. But I think he was easily like one of their most talented defensemen. And so coming into the season, like I thought he was, you know, really going to step up and, and be quite strong for them. So it's it's disappointing that he, you know, couldn't cement a role here. I think I think long term, it might have not worked out anyway, just because, you know, they had Brandstrom and Sanderson, hopefully coming up anyway. But at the same time, it's still, you know, I, I think he is better than he showed. Like, I don't think anyone could could disagree that, you know, he, he didn't look that great in uh, what was it? 15 games, I believe this year. So like he, he, like he certainly didn't look amazing. So like, there's no denying that, but at the same time, you know, he played pretty much over the past two calendar years. He really hadn't played much at all. Uh, you know, in 2020, he, you know, injured himself early on in the season, only played a few games before COVID ruined things. And then obviously like in the fall, there was no games as well. So and, and then, you know, he was in and out of the lineup. It was kind of hard to get some consistency with that. So, yeah, I, I think who knows, like maybe the injury has really ruined him long term. And, you know, it's not as if he's super young anymore. He's 26 years old. So, like, you know, he, he could just be done. He could kind of it could kind of be like a Chris Weidman situation where, you know, he isn't quite the same player anymore. But at the same time, we saw a guy like Colin White, who last year he, he was struggling to come back from injury as well. And this year he, he looks much better. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if next year Will Landon looks much better in LA, but at the same time, I could also see a scenario where he's, you know, out of the NHL in a year from now or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's too bad that his tenure ended like this in Ottawa. Um, but you know, I, it's not as like, I'm upset about it, but I'm, I'm not like, you know, I can at least see, what some of the rationale is here. It's just, I guess we're going to get into a, a bit of this a bit later. It's not exactly how I would have handled it, but um, yeah, mainly just, just disappointing to see how it turned out. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I can say is, you know, I definitely agree where I don't think he he's had his greatest season this year, but his atrocious quote unquote season where he played so bad that he just played himself out of a spot and they had to get rid of him still ranked third among Sens defensemen in Corsi four percentage with 51.98 and third in expected okay. goals among all Sens defensemen with a 48.23. And again, those aren't be all end all stats. I, I won't, I'm not trying to say he looked amazing or anything, but the, the biggest thing, the biggest frustrating thing with me is a, they didn't give him a chance in my opinion to really show what he was made of. I, I, I just, I, I will never believe that when you have a guy who has played as little as Willana and has looked as good in the little time that he's got to play, I will just never believe that putting him in for two games and yanking him right away if he doesn't look great in those two games is the right way to approach it. And and it's just, it's so hard when you know that if you're making one mistake, you're coming out of the lineup anyways. And exactly, I, I yeah. think I, I could even forgive that a little more if the alternative was that, because, um, you know, I, I'm sure we might talk about Mike Riley here in a little bit once we get to the deadline stuff, but he's been legitimately awesome this year. And so I'm fine with Mike Riley taking the what will end spot supposed to be. But guess what? On that third pair, if it was Branstrom, I probably wouldn't be uh, too worried about it. But it's not Branstrom playing on that third pair still. Like they still they don't even remember Belleville right now. I don't know what their plan is with him. He's just wasting yeah. away on the taxi squad. <laughs> well, while they're openly trying to I guess they're trying to get teams to look at, uh, um, you know, 
Brayden Colburn and uh, I, like, I, I just, I really don't understand the plan here where it's like your third left-handed D on the roster right now is not as good as Christian Willanit, you know, like um, uh, again, no offense to Brayden Colburn and Eric Goodbranson guys like that. I'm sure they're good guys, but Brayden Colburn is not an NHL level defenseman. If he is, he's a seven slash eight that you want in at the very least one game because you've got an injury or something like that. And I think that is the biggest thing with the Willanin situation where it's like, I'm not upset necessarily that they walked away. Like there's a, a good, as you said, there's a good enough chance he's a non-NHL player or even a third pair defenseman. And, you know, sometimes you just don't need that on your roster if you have a bunch of them. But the fact that they traded him and it's still not, they're still not playing Branstrom just makes no sense to me. And I think that's the biggest thing that I just, I really uh, fail to see what, why the move needed to be made there. Yeah, I think the stuff with Branstrom is certainly frustrating, especially right now, because, you know, a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, like throughout different um, sections of the season so far, Branstrom had either been in the lineup or playing down in Belleville. And when he was playing down in Belleville, it's like, okay, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can at least see the rationale of, you know, wanting to get in minutes and stuff like that. But why is he being wasted on the taxi squad? That doesn't really make any sense to me. So, I, I mean, I would hope that they could just move Coburn for, even if it's like a seventh round pick or something, I don't know. But um, it, it is funny that like, you know, Locked Up on Senators podcast, they uh, tweeted at me the other day that, you know, Coburn only played three games in the playoffs last season. It's not like he was, I mean, yeah, he won the cup with Tampa, but it's not as if he was, you know, some integral part of their team. He was pretty much like their eighth defenseman or something like that. So, you know, hopefully they can move on from him there. But, and, and others have mentioned this as well, that there wasn't a single game this year where Shabbat, Willannon, and Brandstrom were all in, this, in the lineup at the same time, which is just crazy. Like, I don't know why, and, and this isn't just a DJ Smith thing. Like, I know just in general, NHL coaches are very risk averse and they won't, they're sort of very, you know, they don't want to have like three offensive minded kind of guys, especially on the left side, but still like, I don't know, j just see, see what they can do. And, you know, coming back to what you said about Willannon and, you know, fearing mistakes, you're right. It's like, and, and, and we saw that with Willannon and Brandstrom, it was like, if they make a couple mistakes or something, they're out of the lineup, but then, you know, you could see a guy like a Branson or, I mean, even, even Riley, like he, he's looked fantastic, but also he's had some pretty bad games too. He's not coming out of the lineup either. So it's kind of, I don't know. I, I wrote an article about this back in February and just talking about accountability. And it, it seems like there's some, a bit of a disconnect with, with some of the ac accountability there. So I'd, I'd love to see Branstrom in the lineup here. If he's not in the lineup after the trade deadline, then I'm really going to be disappointed because then there's really no excuse. But I mean, for now, I'm trying not to, you know, be too worried about it. I kind of look at Branstrom as similar in a similar spot to what Drake Batherson was last year. So I'm really hoping that like next year can be his full, you know, he, he's not getting taken out of the lineup ever again kind of season. But for now, like it's, it's pretty frustrating to see that they're, you know, they're always going to have that one guy like Coburn or, um, you know, good Branson or whoever on that on that left side that you know, doesn't have as much upside. Yeah. And it's honestly like, it's getting to the point with Branstrom where if you keep taking him out of the lineup like this, it's almost a failure on the coaching and management. And I'm trying not to 
like, I don't want to overreact, right? Because you don't want to get to the point where it's like, you need this guy in, you need this guy in. It's like, well, no, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not, it might not have that big of an effect. And again, I think Batherson's a perfect example. I don't think there was any reason Batherson should have stayed down for most of last year, but it didn't seem to matter because he's absolutely killing it last year or this year, you know? So, um, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if post-trade deadline, you're still playing scrubs like Braden Colburn on your third pair. It's like, that is just like, a telltale sign of like what is going wrong here, either between coaching and management. And it just, it can't happen. And, you know, the, the biggest thing for accountability, and I, I'm going to sound like a broken record to some people who listen to this podcast every week, but the biggest thing that pisses me off with the accountability thing and, and not playing to punish mistakes is that we literally have such great proof of why it is ineffective in Nick Paul. Like for years, Nick Paul was that exact mm. type player where he, you could tell when he was playing with the puck, he didn't want to do too much because he knew if he was turning that puck over, he was he was getting benched the next game, you know, or sent down to Belleville. This year, it's clear that he's been told, you know, don't do anything stupid, obviously, but like go do what you want with the puck. And he's been such an effective player where it's like he's not trying to dangle through five guys or anything like that. But you can tell where like in years past, he probably would have just dumped the puck in at, at the center ice and went for a change. Like this year, he's playing with more confidence. He's looking for an open guy, making that extra pass or holding it for an extra second to, you know, let the teammates get up. And, and it's just made such a difference where it's like that's such a huge thing to me where I just I can't understand why they don't look at such an obvious example there and not realize that they're doing the exact opposite with their their young defensemen i mean again christian Malanen's not that young anymore he's 25 26 years old i wouldn't really even call him a prospect but the fact that it was like i just don't think anyone's going to play real well when you're saying one mistake and you're coming out of the lineup and when you have a skilled guy whose job it is to make skilled plays you know you just totally limit them when you're telling them not to do that yeah and i think like it's okay to sort of, I guess, punish those kind of mistakes, but over a longer period of time, right? So maybe you want to look at him, put him in the in the lineup for like eight to 10 games or something. And then if, it, if it's kind of consistent after that, well then sure, like, like take him out. But to your point about Nick Paul, you know, he looks fantastic. I mean, even last year, he, he looked great too, but, and he, he's always had the skill to be like defensive skills, I should say. And, you know, he's always been fantastic defensively, just awesome penalty killer but even this year like his offensive skill as well I don't think he's ever going to be more than a third line player like points wise but you know you can put him on the third line of a contender and like you know if if a team like you know Tampa Bay or Colorado or Vegas or whoever wanted to go after Paul at deadline like I feel like they could I mean not not that I'm advocating for trading him like I really want to keep him but just to give you a sense of his value like I feel like he'd be one of you know, one of the most, most valuable trade assets out there right now, because he's, he's just that guy that Stanley cup winning teams need. And so, yeah, like I, you know, he's been fantastic this year and uh, just, it, it is interesting to see how he's come along this way. Cause you know, he's, he was waived multiple times in, I guess maybe was it last year? I think last year too. And, but also yeah. like the year before as, as well. So um, I don't know. There, there's definitely some, some differences in, in how they approach their, their player development. And I don't know, I'd love to see Branson get more time, but you know, it's, it's, we'll, we'll see after the, after the deadline, I guess. Yeah. And I think we'd be remiss if we're not talking, if we don't even touch on the return that they got for Will Landon. And I definitely agree with you that him going through waivers makes him more valuable. Like so many players do at that point. And 
if anyone's wondering why, it's because LA, now that they've acquired him, can send them down to the AHL or the taxi squad, and they don't need to just spend a roster spot on them, where if they would have claimed them off waivers, he has to stay in the NHL, or if they don't, you know, they got to waive them again, and Ottawa's probably just claiming them right back and throwing them uh, on the taxi squad themselves. So, um, but they get Mike Amadio back uh, in the deal. He's 24 years old. He was a third round draft pick, 90th overall back in 2014. Um, again, I touched on him a little bit earlier. I'm not going to pretend I've seen him play too much. I have not cared to watch the tanking <laughs> LA Kings uh, much in the past couple of years, but um, just looking at his raw numbers, he looks like a, a fringe NHLer who can, who can maybe can contribute here and there, but some good AHL depth as well. And I think he just finished his quarantine probably the other, or, you know, probably right around this time. He hasn't played with Belleville yet, but I'm assuming that will be coming. Um, but yeah, like last year in 68, uh, Eight NHL games, he had 16 points and he had pretty good underlying numbers, if I remember correctly. And the year before that, he had 43 NHL games and 13 points, eight points and 37 the year before that. And then he's been literally over a point per game in the AHL over the past uh, two seasons. So it's a guy where I think if you were going to move away from Atlanta, if that's the decision you're going to make, I don't mind seeing this kind of what you're targeting. I'm assuming a draft pick probably just wasn't going to be available, or if it was, it might've been like a seventh rounder or something. And I'm quite okay taking a shot at a fringe guy where it's like, yeah, he, there's a good chance. He doesn't really help the NHL team much, but even at the worst, you're probably getting a very good AHL player to help some of your young guys come in. And, um, you know, again, it's not, uh, it's not the ideal scenario. I think you would have wanted to see coming into the year from Willannon, but just from what the scenario ended up being, I don't think this was the worst outcome. Yeah. And it's interesting to note too, that, uh, is it Amadio or Amadio? I never even, I, I, guess. I have no Amadio. idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, Amadio, I guess. Now he was former teammates with Nick Paul also in with the North Bay battalion. So, well, or, or, I guess, yeah, it would have been North Bay. Um, so yeah, interesting to, to note there. There's, there's seems like there's always a connection with the former player or, or coach or something like that, but yeah, he's been really good in the AHL. Like you said, I, I don't think he's going to be anything special or anything at all necessarily in Ottawa. Um, you know, especially with, with Pinto coming up, I don't even know if he's going to be playing at all the rest of the year, but Belleville and just a, like AHL teams in general always need kind of these fringe guys because, you know, we've seen this year, Belleville has been pretty bad. They, you know, obviously a ton of graduations, you know, not, not many top prospects in there anymore. So, you know, they're, they're going to need guys like that. Like last year, you know, you had Jordan Schwartz on for Belleville who I believe he was their captain and you know you just have that or like looking at previous guys in the past Paul Carey um I can't think of anyone off the top of my head but you're going to need these kind of mid-20s guys who are like sort of AHL veterans and yeah like you mentioned he had, he had some good underlying numbers you know maybe he can be a fourth line center or something like that I wouldn't expect Ottawa to keep him around or anything but you know if they if they, you know, want to keep him for AHL depth or if they can find a trade partner next next season and want to trade him for a seventh or something, then go for it. So, you know, it's better than losing Will Lannan for nothing like they did with Balsers. Yeah, he feels like one of those perfect candidates for like the 900K NHL, 90K AHL contracts for another year, boost his value yeah, yeah. and then see where it goes from there. And again, like I, I don't really expect him to play, but I think he would be a guy where let's say next year you have two or three guys go down with an injury and you need a fringe guy to come up and play some fourth line minutes. I don't think he would be the worst option. So 
you know, that that's kind of where I would expect him to be. And then, yeah, just play, you know, help the young guys coming into the, to the AHL here, as you know, we see a transition period kind of from, from that Batherson Norris regime to, you know, the Sokolov regime now, where he just does nothing but score goals. It seems like right now and, um, you know, help, help those guys along the way. And I think that is important as well. So, um, yeah, let's get to the next point here that I had written down. I think we'll, let's go trade deadline because, uh, you know, you mentioned Pinto as well, and I want to get into him, but let's get into the trade deadline, see if uh, anything opens up. Uh, I want to just kind of run through some names and ask you, if you were the GM, would you trade them? And, um, you know, do you think Pierre Dorian or there will trade them slash will there be a market for these guys? So I'm going to start with a couple of the lower names and then we'll get to a couple maybe of the more um, – um, I would say more talked about because there's definitely been a discussion about whether you keep a couple guys, I think that are kind of on the block here. Um, so the first name I'll say that, cause I think this will probably be pretty easy for both of us. Braden Coburn. Uh, if you were a GM, I'm assuming the move would be yes. He has a no trade con- contract somehow. No idea how that is a thing, mm. but I'm assuming he would waive that. Um, yeah. But I'm assuming both of our answers here would be yes. If we were the GM, we, uh, we would trade him. Do you think yeah. uh, Dorian will trade him? And do you think there's a market there? I think Dorian will trade him. Yeah. And obviously to answer your first question. Yeah. I, w- I would trade him as well. I think, I don't know. Teams are always, always seem to be adding these veteran defensemen, like to, you know, add as their seventh or eighth guy, whether they, are any good or not it it seems like they're you know getting traded regardless you know he has that pedigree winning the cup he's you know played does he have over a thousand games he must have over a thousand games i would assume um close at least yeah so i bet you he'll get moved honestly probably just like a seventh to be totally honest so uh yeah i would be i'd be kind of surprised actually if they didn't move him and yeah, like I, I definitely think there would be some interest. Like if you look at the D market, there really isn't much out there. So, you know, a, a team a, a team might be looking at the prices and think, ah, okay, well, we'll just add a body. Like who knows what injuries might come up or whatever, or COVID. So, you know, we'll, we'll add Coburn just as like an eighth defenseman. So I bet you that'll happen. Yeah, I think he's at 979 regular season games, by the way. Uh, oh, 130, man, <laughs> 137 more playoff games. So combined, he's over a thousand, mm. but... Um, yeah, I definitely see a team going like he's got that hashtag playoff experience. You know, he's had multiple deep runs with uh, the Flyers. He played 23 games in, in 2010, 11, 11, 14, 6. Uh, you know, obviously the Tampa Bay runs. He's been part of Tampa Bay for five or six years. And so he had a couple couple runs with them. Um, but yeah, I, I would hope that they move him. I, I think Dorian will definitely try. Um, as you said, there seems to be always a mark. Like I was listening to Overdrive in Toronto, and they were like, "He would be the perfect addition." And as they just got <laughs> finished ditching uh, Martin Marinson, I was like, "You guys are better off just playing Martin Marinson in a playoff game or two than you yeah. are trading Cobra." Like I don't know what to tell you, but if a team wants to give up a legitimate asset for Brink, or even just it could be thing to be named later, I would be totally okay with that. You know, open up the roster spot, and I think you probably just improve by subtraction there. So. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eric, Eric Goodbranson is the next one up. Uh, I would definitely trade him. I think if it's, you know, I, I think Dorian will be looking to move him, although I'm not quite as sold by that. And I think they're, you know, if Ottawa retains some salary, uh, which again, yeah, who knows on that, I think they, they probably should be open to it, but I would say there'd probably be a market for Goodbranson as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on Goodbranson? And do you think he'll be a cent after the deadline? Yeah, I think there'll be more of a market for Good Branson just because, well, 
like yeah like you said i think Ottawa would probably have to retain a bit of salary i think there's probably more of a market for him just because you know we you looked at the trades that Branson has been involved in i mean the first trade to vancouver in 2016 it was like jared mccann and a second or and like maybe another late pick as well uh you know he was traded for tanner pearson going to pittsburgh even the most recent one with ottawa traded for a fifth and like that's not a ton obviously but uh more than coburn i would i would assume and plus he's a right right shot so you know those are just a lot more infrequent and i don't know though like i don't know if like i'd be surprised if they re-signed him but i don't don't know if dora necessarily wants to to move him just because mainly because he has the a so i don't know if he kind of wants to move a leader out of the room even if it's just for like the final month um yeah i don't know it's tough like i would obviously move him and i think maybe he could get a similar return like like a fifth or whatever but i i could certainly see it where you know he's looking at the who they have on the right side and he kind of still wants to keep good branson just for the for the final month but i think it would be like inexcusable to re-sign him because like next year you really want to try to go for or like at least sort of try for a playoff spot, but I don't know. Deadline. I'm, I'm going to say he stays. I wouldn't be shocked if he stays as well. I also think a big problem we've seen in the past with this Sens team is they have such a small front office that it feels like Dorian almost gets overwhelmed on trade deadline day where it's like, yeah, he should be probably moving out five guys, but he gets stuck on two or three guys. And he just, it's almost like he forgets to get caught. Like Ron Hainsey staying. There was no need for Ron Hainsey to stay at the deadline last year, just for him to walk in UFA. Yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I think I would be a little bit encouraged by uh, in terms of them trading to Branson is a, they don't seem to mind taking him out of the lineup from time to time when, you know, Josh Brown yeah. in recently. And the other reason is they signed JBD to a uh, entry level contract and by all reports, it does sound like they want to get him a few games up in Ottawa and not with just with the AHL team. So that might be one saving grace where they look at it and they go, we've already got four right-handed defensemen. Maybe we move good Branson out and, and get Bernard Docker in a couple games. And then if we don't, you know, either you don't like what you see or you just say, okay, that's enough. You're going down to Belleville Brown steps in and is that other guy on the right side. So I would say that would be the two, the two reasons that I'd be a little more optimistic that he would move. But uh, that being said, I also would be even a little bit surprised if he is still on this roster by the, by uh, whatever the next day after the trade deadline is. Right. I sure hope so. Yeah. I, I think that certainly sound logic with, with them having five right shot D including JBD. So yeah, I, I sure hope that, you know, Bernard Docker gets a real chance. Yeah. Me, me too. Um, just trying to go through the list, see if there's any, smaller names that uh, were I know Derek Stepan is one that they would have been looking to move but obviously unfortunately that injury uh, changed those pl- those plans um so let's get into Mike Riley Let, let's go with that one then we have I think probably the biggest topic I if you would have told me Mike Riley you know even a month ago I probably would have been on team yeah get whatever you can for an asset for him now uh, I don't know. I go both ways on this. I think there is an avenue where it would definitely make sense for them to sign him to like a two-year deal to try and bridge that gap between when Sanderson finally comes in, two or three-year deal maybe at like say three million yeah. AAV. 
Um, I think with Riley, it would depend on what the offers are. If you're only going to get like a fifth or a sixth round pick, if I'm the GM, I'm going to say no. I think that keeping him is probably more valuable, just seeing how good him and Zub have been together. Um, that being said, if a team is willing to offer you, say, like a, a second or even like a third and a middling prospect, I think you should probably look really hard and and might even trade Mike Riley for, for that price. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp. I think a second round pick would certainly be be pretty valuable. So I, I'd love to have that. At the same time, you look at what he went for last year, which was also a fifth, just like at Branson. But I mean, he, he was even placed on waivers and went unclaimed. So I, I don't know how much value he has, especially because most of his value this year is like more of an analytical way of looking at it. Like, I don't think many traditional fans are necessarily looking at him and saying, oh, wow, like he's been fantastic. Like, I don't, he either has either zero or one goals. I forget. Let me, let me just quickly check. He has, uh, uh, yeah, zero goals. He has 17 assists, which is quite solid. And he's, he's a minus three, which, I mean, you know, I don't like plus minus, but like for traditional people that'd be like, ah, you know, he's fine. Maybe give him like a third, fourth round pick. So I, I don't know. And it doesn't seem like he's getting that much buzz around the league. So yeah, I think, I think if you can get him, I would really only sign him for one or two years, like anything more than that. I, I think he's just one of these guys that is, you know, you kind of try to catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, catch a couple of his few best seasons. And then he's probably, you know, not going to be in, in the league for that long. It, you know, it's kind of a shame that Dylan DeMello couldn't have been this, that guy to be a bridge on the right side. I think Riley, like, long term he definitely wouldn't be a piece because he's more of like a, a depth guy and you don't really want someone because obviously his game involves more offense right and like he isn't he'll still he's still very prone to making you know bad defense bad defensive mistakes and you you kind of need more sound defensive defensemen so yeah, like I'd be fine having him for one or two more years, especially like next year. Like if you get, if you get him for a one-year deal, that'd be absolutely perfect. So it, it all depends on on what he's asking for and what teams are willing to give up. And I assume they're really not going to be giving up that much. So um, yeah, it's kind of kind of like a non-answer there. But I I don't know. I, I bet you he doesn't get moved at the deadline. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean he'll resign either. Yeah. I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I think I would really be okay with uh, a two year deal, especially, I think, um, you know, especially one year, you're, you're, I think he'd be a great guy for next year. Uh, you could run Shabbat branch from Riley down the, the left side there. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know if it's a guarantee that Sanderson will step right into the NHL after he's out of college next year. I, I mean, I'm sure he will yeah. probably at the end of the year, but whether he's ready for full-time minutes for that full next season, um, I, I would sure hope so, but you know, it's never a guarantee and he can't rush that stuff. So if he's there a second year, I don't think it's the end of the world, especially at like a $3 million AAV or something that's very easily to move, especially if he does have a good year next year, you could probably convince some team to take him for a sixth. Uh, in two years from now with one year left on his deal and it wouldn't be an issue or just make him your seventh defenseman. There'd probably be worse people to have as a seventh defenseman, but yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like, it really 
This one's tough because it doesn't. We don't really know what he's asking for, what the market demands of him. I think this he would be a really smart pickup for any team looking to add some depth defensemen. You know, I, I joked about uh, Good Branson going to the Leafs, but if they actually wanted to add a depth defenseman on their left side for their third pair or even a seventh guy, Mike Riley would be the guy to add right there. Like so two looking. M Rileys. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> just just the, the the announcers getting to have fun with that oh one. Oh my then. goodness, uh, that, that would be something to watch. But yeah, even like. I know like Colorado's been just, they have so many defensemen, but they're all injured right now. Uh, Boston's yeah. another team that comes to mind. You know, Boston's got nine injuries, it feels like, on their blue line right now. Um, so, you know, teams like that where it's like you can see their path to the conference finals, you know, shape up and make sense. I think that he would be a really smart pickup for them if it's only going to cost a fourth or something. But if I'm Ottawa, I would probably, you know, if you know he's not going to resign, take whatever asset you can get. But if you're under the assumption that there's a good chance you could get them on a reasonable contract this off season, I would probably, and the, the best offer you're getting in a trade is a fourth or whatever. I would probably be okay. Just keeping him and moving on, you know? For sure. Yeah. It kind of, you know, like we're saying this whole time, it kind of depends, you know, what, what he's asking for and all that. So yeah, it'll be, I don't, I don't think we'll necessarily have our, our full answer for like until the off season, but I, I think he's one of these guys that, you know, he's not going to make or break them either way, but he's certainly a nice guy to have around just like another competent defenseman. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked so much of this year is talking about how they lack that, but uh, like his underlying numbers have been really, really strong. And like, he, he still has the problem of he makes that just boneheaded play every once in a while, just chuck exactly. his hand up the middle of the ice or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's like his underlying number has been really strong. It's been encouraging to see because it, it gives them like a third or fourth actual good defenseman. And, you know, that's obviously a good thing to have. Um, here's probably the biggest one. Uh, I might throw one or two or smaller names at you, but uh, Ryan Dezingle is definitely the biggest one. And the one I've just seen debated most online recently um, so I'm going to be totally honest, unless, unless he's kind of in the same camp as Mike Riley, but I would take a lot less for him. Even I, to me, Ryan Dezingle has found gold, you know, the Carolina hurricanes probably were going to be willing to waive him if they couldn't have traded him to Ottawa. This yeah. Year. Like he was just a mess. And in Ottawa, he's now got six goals, one assist. He's on, I'm pretty sure he's on a shooting percentage bender, but you know, like he's got six goals in like. I think he's on a 35 goal pace over an 82 game season and his stint with Ottawa here. So like, I don't think, obviously I don't think teams are going to go spend a first or a second on him, but I've seen a lot of talk about people wanting to re-sign him in a fourth line role for multiple years. And to me, that just makes no sense because you have so many guys that you should be wanting to work in the lineup in the next year or two, where it's like, I've loved what the Zingle brings to this team, him being in Ottawa and the fact that he seems to play his best hockey in Ottawa is super cool. But at the end of the day, he's an effective fourth liner. And that's just not someone that I need to resign to a multi-year deal. You know, like if you're only mm-hmm. getting offered a sixth or a seventh round pick and you think you could get him at one year at decent value next year, sure, maybe you look at it. But like if the team's offering a third or a fourth round pick, I'm taking that and running. I'm going, I'm sorry, like I can find a replacement on my fourth line. I love Dezingle, love what he's brought so far this year. But I just, some of this talk to me about wanting to extend him for multiple years, it, it kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I think, as you said, he's definitely found money. Like, you know, he, yeah, maybe they were going to waive him and, and buy him out or whatever, because, you know, definitely wasn't working in Carolina. I, yeah, that's the thing. Like they have, you know, Kachuk, Formanton, maybe Stutzla, if they keep Stutzla on the, on the left wing, 
you know, they have those, those left wingers there. So like Dezingle isn't really going to be getting top six minutes, nor should he. And like, maybe not even on the, on the third line either. So I think he has been perfect for the fourth line. Like, don't get me wrong. I think he's been great there. And I could see the benefits to wanting to resign him for sure, especially because he is a veteran and has been in Ottawa. You know, he kind of, I, I guess, a fan favorite now. And, you know, I, I definitely liked him during his time here as well. So I think if you can resign him for one year, I think I would do it. But more than that, like you don't want to commit to a guy that's just going to be on your fourth line, which, you know, that can be pretty dangerous for you unless it's you know super cheap. But so, yeah, I, I don't know what, how much he would actually get on the open market or anything. Like probably not that much. I mean, even his last contract was only, I think, three and a half. So like maybe you're only getting in for 1.5. Like I'd be fine with that. Um, I, yeah. I mean, honestly though, like from, from the moment that the trade was made, we were just sort of talking about, Oh, okay. Well now they should try to flip him for, you know, a, a pick. And now the, the fact that he's actually doing well, it's just funny that people are wanting to resign him instead of, you know, flip him for that pick. So I don't know. I mean, if they resign him for one year, I certainly wouldn't be, mad about it like i'd be i'd be pretty pleased especially as you're saying if they were only going to be getting a lower pick form which we won't know but yeah like I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he didn't have too much of a market or like the market wasn't willing to give up that much for him so yeah he's ah, it, it, some of these guys are tough like i i don't know just just based on the fact that Ottawa rarely re-signs their UFAs, like the amount of guys they've re-signed that are UFAs, it's comical. It's like Tom Pyatt, um, Mike Condon, Magnus Pyarvi, and those are like the, the three, I guess Anders Nielsen, I think. Those are like the four main guys over the past, you know, six, seven years. It's pretty paltry list when you think of it. So just based on that track, track record, I could definitely see them trading Dezingle. Yeah, I like I think the biggest reason that I think they should trade him is because it's going great right now and like don't get me wrong if as you said if they sign him to a one year deal it's not I'm not going to be fuming about it or anything. I, I like again I like the guy. He seems like a nice dude and he always seems to play his best hockey in Ottawa, which is nice, but he's shooting 24% right now. Um which yeah. he is an actual pretty high percentage <laughs> shooter over his career. Over his career, he shot 15.5%. So it's not like he's a low ball or low percent shooter shooter, but like he's shooting 24% in Ottawa and his underlying numbers aren't very encouraging either. He currently ranks 11th among forwards with 50 or more minutes in Ottawa in Corsi four percentage. And I believe it's just as bad, if not, I mean, I think it's probably the same. Yeah, 43.83% in expected goals, which is also 11th among forwards. Um, so it's not like he's really like dominating play when he's on the ice. And some of that I think might just be, you know, his line mates. Like, I know like Clark, I've, I've liked Clark Bishop in a fourth line role, but you know, him and Artem Anisimov and Austin Watson are some of his most used line mates. And it's like, you know, I'm not expecting them to dominate play or anything like that, but it's one of yeah. those things where I think if you're looking going forward, it's like, okay, well, he's not controlling play. He's shooting at incredibly unsustainable rate. And like, granted, if he had two or three goals instead of six, that's still like a 16 or 15 goal pace over a full 82 game season. And you're not mad about that by any means. So it's just one of those things where I think like he's probably playing the best hockey we're going to see out of him again right now. And 
I think if you can capitalize on that with like even a fourth or a fifth round pick or, you know, like I, I wrote a piece for Mile High Hockey today, um, you know, the SB Nation site for Colorado. And I actually got to do a, a deadline piece. They're doing a, who they should target. And I chose Ryan Zingle as mine. And, you know, like if a team like that, where again, like it's an obvious cup team and they want to add just some forward depth and you can get like a mid round pick or whatever. I, I would definitely take that if I'm Ottawa, because as much as I like Ryan Zingle, let's not act like you can't find a Ryan Zingle. Like I just mentioned Clark Bishop. He's, you know, he's not scoring quite at the same rate, but at the same time, it's not like his underlying numbers, like they've been better, honestly. They, they're leading the team, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, they've been but, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but like you can find those types of guys for pretty cheap just about every single year. So it's not like Ryan Zingle is this irreplaceable guy. And if they, they move him, I definitely, I think I'll be fine with that. A lot more fine than I think some people might be that I've seen around anyways. Yeah, I think the main reason, like 95% of the reason why people want to keep him is just that they have this connection to him from the past that he was in Ottawa before. Like, I think if he had the exact same statistics from earlier in his career, but he was playing in Philadelphia or something, you know, I, I doubt this many people are wanting to resign him. And I, and I get it. I totally get it. So, um, you know, it's not as if, yeah, I can understand both sides wanting to, to trade him and keep him. I would probably lean trade him, you know, sell high, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, as you said, we, 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 we unfortunately won't know what the offers were probably. I mean, they might get leaked out, but we won't know for sure what offers were. But, you know, if they're yeah. only offers a sixth or a seventh round pick, you're like, yeah, then just keep him. He's probably more value to just help on your fourth line for even if you don't resign him this summer. Like, he's probably more value for the last third 20 games or whatever than he is a seventh round pick. Um, uh, so, you know, and it's just kind of funny. And this isn't an Ottawa fan base thing. I don't, I'm not trying to be an asshole or anything. This is just a sports fan base thing. But, it's uh, it, it's honestly hilarious that uh, you know, any anytime any player does even somewhat okay on a rebuilding team, the fans are like, we gotta keep that guy. It's like Brian Gibbons was a name that I remember writing about two summers yeah, ago, uh, yeah. where it's like he scored I think like eight goals in the final like twenty five games or something like that. And I was like, his underlying numbers were trash, but they do not need to give him a contract this year. And I just got flamed for it online. They're like, he was unreal. We got to bring him back. It's like, no, I, I don't 14 think. 14 points in 20 games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was like, and then everyone was like, we need to bring him back. I was like, you absolutely do not need to be bringing Ryan Gibbons back, you know? But uh, yeah, so I always laugh at that when I see it's like, yeah, this team is like 26th in the league or whatever, but it's actually none of the players' fault. You know, all the players, but three of them are really good. We don't need to improve on them. It's like, yeah. all right, guys, you know. Yeah. But, and and I, I kid around more than anything else about that. Um, a couple other names I want to throw your way. Just uh, if you think, you know, I, I think we would both probably trade these guys if you get a good enough asset. But do you think there's going to be any market for an Artemanisimov or maybe even a Chris Tierney who has an extra year on his deal? Um Let's start with Anisimov and then we'll go to Tierney. Uh, I, I think, you know, Anisimov's play as of recently, I've been a little more encouraged, but I think his price tag is probably going to take him out of the market. Yeah, I think I noted, I noted just, was it last game? I lost track of my days, but one of the, one of the recent games, at least, he looks fantastic with Evgeny Dadnov. And, you know, it's, Anisimov is certainly a very limited player. I mean, like you can really only have him as like you're on your fourth line or like a 13th forward or something, but I could maybe see a team wanting to, to get him, especially after just, you know, looking solid the last few times he's been in there. Like he's not going to be very good defensively, but he will give you some skill offensively. And like, you know, maybe you, I mean, even on the power play, he actually looks not that bad. So 
I don't know if, if a team wants to add just like a guy who has a potential to score a random goal, you know, late in the game or whatever, then, you know, maybe they want to throw a seventh round pick their way. But, but as you mentioned, Ottawa might have to eat some of that money just to make the cap work. Yeah, I think right now I'm on cap friendly and they say he's got a remaining daily cap hit of 1.294. Um, so basically, if I'm doing the math right, it'll probably be close to about a million dollars as his cap hit when it's traded uh, because you eat it every single day. Um, so, you know, there's a lot, and like to give t- people a perspective, uh, Montreal right now is the 8th, 10th, 12th, 13th uh, team with cap hit and they have a projected deadline cap of 1.8. So like they would be able to eat like they would be able to take it. There's a handful of teams that at this point wouldn't if they don't move a contract back. Um, but it's one of those things where, yeah, like they, they'll probably have to eat some money, I would assume, just because, uh, you know, like there's there's a couple teams with just zero dollars in cap space right now. And yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, it, it just it's limiting. So I, I would say that um, he's not someone I'm expecting to go. But if they can get any kind of asset for him again, I would be pleasantly surprised to open up a spot. And then with Chris Tierney, again, I, I think I don't think he will go anywhere. Um, I think if I'm Ottawa, I would be trying to move him. Like if there's any team that wants a, a fourth line center, third line center, maybe I would say he's probably closer to a fourth on a good team though. Um, his problem again is his cap hit. He's got one more year at 3.5 left. So that's kind of hard for teams to swallow if they're only, if they're going to be playing him down in the lineup. But um, you know, he's someone I noticed that he's taking a little more scrutiny online right now, just because he kind of looks out of place playing with, uh, you know, guys like Batherson and Stutzel. Um, and that's fair enough. I don't think he should be fitted there, but um, I was wondering, do you think there will be a market at all or would you even look for trading him? Oh, I, I think there would probably be a market. I think his cap, it certainly isn't great. Probably last off season, you would have been able to get a bit more for him. You know, looking at his stats here, he's got just 14 points in 39 games. So, you know, that's like 30 points in a, in a full season. And, you know, the previous couple seasons, he was, you know, he had 48 and 81 and 37 and 71. And I think even though his point totals kind of inflated, you know, the kind of player he was because he really has never been a, a puck driver. He, you know, possession stats have never been very good so like yeah although he was you know close to 50 points he wasn't really that impactful player like he's never really been like someone driving a line or anything like that so yeah I think I think a team might be able to trade for him what's interesting and good about the Willannon trade is that Michael Amadio has played enough games over the past uh, I guess last season that he counts for the exposure requirements. So like every team has to expose two forwards that have pretty much like played enough games that like qualify as, you know, like NHL veterans or whatever. And I'm assuming they're not going to protect Austin Watson. So he, he would be one guy and Tierney would be the other, but now that they have Amadio, they, they could expose or trade or sorry. Yeah. They would obviously expose Tierney, but they could trade Tierney and still have, you know, Watson and Amadio as the guys that are exposable um and like can be eligible for that so if they do want to trade Tierney they could whereas in the past that it was a lot less likely um I think long term he's like super redundant like I wouldn't I would definitely look to either trade him now or in the summer because you know you look at the center depth with 
hopefully Stutzla at the top if he moves to center. And then you got Norris, Pinto, White. You know, maybe you want to put Paul at center. I, I really like him there. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Logan Brown probably isn't a part of this equation. But even with those guys that I just mentioned, it's hard to see where Tierney fits in there. Yeah, I think, you know, he's someone I really thought they should have traded last offseason or deadline, sorry, to be honest. Like, I didn't really see the point in extending him. Like, I, I guess for this year, and obviously the exposure requirements helps, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't care. As long as he's their fourth line center next year, I wouldn't really care either too much. You know, you mentioned all those guys, and it's definitely valid. But at the same time, all those guys you mentioned, other than, like, Nick Paul, I don't really want any of them playing fourth line. And if Nick Paul can play third line or second line wing versus fourth line center, I'll take him at the wing all day. Um, so, you know, that's the one thing. If they don't trade him, as long as he's their fourth line center, I don't think it's a huge deal next year. He just shouldn't be playing alongside like the Batherson and the Stutzels of the team anymore. Yeah. Um, it's kind of clear that that's just not a good role for him. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think if there's a team willing to give you any kind of asset, you would definitely have to take a look at it. Um, or, you know, like if it's one of those situations where maybe they give you a contract they don't really like for the rest of this year back, or, you know, maybe if it's next year and you bury it in your AHL system, like, Again, the problem is I know Ottawa doesn't like doing that a lot with their money, but like that's something yeah. I would be looking at with Tierney, right? Like if you could pick up a, a third or a fourth round pick and take like a like a Leo Komarov contract just off the top of my head back, right? Where it's like one more year at $3 million where it's like, you're not really, you could probably send this down to the minors or he can just be your 13th forward or whatever. Like that kind of deal, I would be okay with seeing them try to swing as well. But um, you know, again, it's not something I really expect to happen at the deadline. That's why I just kind of threw his name in after. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't really expect it either. Um, especially because you mentioned that you'd want him, you would, you would have wanted to move him last summer and I would have said the same thing too. So um, probably more of a summertime thing, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, I only have a couple more things to touch on real quick here. Uh, obviously we got the big uh, uh, North Dakota signing. Sanderson's going back for an extra year. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get your opinion on that too. I, I think that's a fine call. Um, you know, from a hockey perspective, I think it would have been cool to see him go pro, even if he didn't jump to the NHL right away, get some NHL experience. But uh, he was one of the three where I think it really probably didn't matter what he does if he went back to school or went to the AHL or NHL, where he probably would have developed fine anyways. Uh, Pinto and JBD, though, I'm really happy to see them sign. Uh, Pinto, it sounded like he might have been going back to school from a purely on-ice perspective. I wouldn't have really understood that. I don't think he has much more to prove going back to, to college hockey. I thought he really showed a lot this year in his development. Um, but, you know, there was also talks that maybe he just wanted to finish up a degree like next year or whatever. And from a, an off-ice standpoint, I can definitely respect that totally, right? But um, he decided to sign a contract. So did Bernard Docker, obviously. And it sounds like we're going to see both these guys in Ottawa, like with the big club for a couple of games this year, which to me is super exciting. You know, this is always the most exciting part of the year for, for teams that are out of it. You know, you get some assets, sell some some old faces, and you really get to bring in some new faces that you get to see what you have. Um, uh, what are you expecting from Pinto and JBD this year? And, and where do you th see their development path going forward? Like, do you think we're going to see them start in the AHL next year? Uh, take me through one by one with those guys. Yeah, I think with Pinto this year, I think we'll probably see him for a majority of games. Maybe they want to send him down to Belleville, like for a couple if he isn't looking great. But, you know, that spot would probably be Logan Brown's and, and maybe he might, they might rotate um, once he, <clears throat> once he gets healthy. But you know, Stepan's out, obviously. Um, 
White will probably be healthy, so that should be fine. But like they'll they'll take out Anisimov, obviously. Like that that'll be no that'll be no problem. So I wouldn't be I don't know like I wouldn't expect too much from him right away. Like um, I don't know. We saw last year when Norris came. I think he played three or four games, and he he was held pointless. And like he, you know he looked fine. He didn't look totally overmatched, but he was just kind of there. So I would kind of expect that for Pinto. I think next year we'll see a lot more. Like. And I think next year, you know, he might start maybe like five, 10 games in the minors and then get called up. And as you said, he didn't really have much to prove in North Dakota anymore. So I think what's really interesting and exciting about him is the fact that he's just gotten so much better every single year in his development, like going back to even before he was drafted, like, uh, you know, they were saying that he wasn't on like a, like a really competitive team until he was like 15 and you know he's just kind of in a in a batherson more mold where he's just you know taking massive leaps every single season and he's you know so like who knows what his his ceiling is really like a lot of people kind of having have him pegged as like a two three kind of center and you know his production is similar to colin white from from college like white actually had slightly better production which you know i don't want (laughs) to you know I, i don't want people to think that he doesn't have uh, high potential. Like I certainly think he does, but we should probably keep our expectations tempered for a bit, but I'm still like super excited to see him. Like, I think he, I think he has that explosiveness that not a lot of senators prospects necessarily have. So um, yeah, super exciting. And then with Bernard Docker, I, for next year, I could see him just starting the year in Ottawa and and staying there mainly because they're so thin on right side on the right side. Like I, I could see them having you know Zub Zaitsev and, and Bernard Docker in, in whatever order. Um, and you know like he had played three seasons in college, so it's not as if he is super young. And like I think he's more than capable, hopefully and probably, of doing that next season. For this year, I'm sure he'll play most of the games. Like. You know, they've been willing to take good Branson out recently. So that's, that certainly bodes well. Um, you know, I, I hope, like, I guess he'd be rotating with good Branson and Brown maybe. And, you know, they, they don't seem that high on Brown anymore. So Josh Brown, that is. And so, yeah, I, I would, I would imagine both of them are playing the majority of games down the stretch, if not all of them, like there's, there's a chance that they play all, I don't know how many games there would be like 13 or, or something like that. But yeah, like, like long-term, I don't think, I think they're probably similar value wise. Like I could see Bernard Docker being like a solid second pairing guy. I could see Pinto being like a solid second line guy, but who knows, like maybe they're, they're even better than that, but I just wouldn't expect them to be that because I mean, like, let's be honest, it's really tough to find a, you know, first pairing right shot defenseman or a first line center. So it's um yeah with 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 a lot of these things it's kind of kind of wait and see but it's super exciting to get to see them in i guess what like a week or so or maybe even less probably less i I would assume they probably start quarantine three or four days ago you know recording this yeah six so i would assume it'll probably be oh i don't even have their schedule pulled up anymore but i'm assuming this weekend they would probably be eligible and then it just depends if you know the team wants to let them get their legs under them in some practices or whatever um but yeah, I would say probably by the latest Monday, April 19th against the Flames would be 
you know, when we actually no, we're early, early in that story, but Monday, April 12th against the Jets would yeah, probably be the, yeah. the latest. We I think that's that, what you know? I believe that's what they had said. I think they said the 12th. Um, yeah, that kind of rings a bell. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, and yeah, I know it's it's hard, you know, as fan, you want to be excited as you can about every prospect. But yeah, tempering expectations is always important for for guys coming, especially out of college, you know, or just straight out of junior like that. That jump to pro is never just as easy for some as it is for others. You know, you see guys like Brady Kachuk who did it flawlessly, you know, but um, there's other guys where even, you know, like a Drake Batherson, it, it took him a year and a half or so, two years of the minor in the AHL to really get his feet underneath them. And, you know, he came up early last season and just looked like a disaster. Like he was a train wreck and then went back down, came back up a little later in the year, I believe looked better. And then this year he looks like a legitimate top six winger. So it, it's definitely important. Yeah. I think to, um, um, temper expectations, but yeah, I don't think there's a reason why they shouldn't be playing most of the games to end the year. They're meaningless games in a, a standings viewpoint, obviously. They're not meaningless in terms of development or anything, but that's exactly how you should be using them. And so, um, you know, I think that it's one of those things where, yeah, if they play three or four games in a row and they look really bad, maybe maybe take them out and send them to the AHL. That'd be okay too. But, you know, if they look like they're keeping their head above water or whatever, that's all you can ask for this year. And just getting that experience, I think, could be pretty valuable for both of them. So um, going into next year, I do think that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them start in the AHL. Um, I, I think Pinto is probably someone they want to bring up pretty soon if they can. Like, it, well, it depends on how he looks this year too. You know, if he looks all sorts of yeah. out of place. Maybe, maybe they think it's better for a little long-term stay, but yeah, if he looks pretty good this year, they start in the AHL next year and wrecks the AHL for 10 games. What are you doing? Keeping them down there, just bring it up, uh, bring them up. But yeah, with uh, JVD, I'm, I'm interested to see again, like, he's the one I really want to see how he develops this year, because if you are like not sure at all that he's going to step up and take an actual big role, I would be quite okay with Ottawa trying to go tackle that free agent market with the right-handed defenseman. And even if it's picking up someone like Mark Pissick for a year at say $2 million to try and fill that void in the right side. And then, you know, so you don't have to start JBD on the big, with the big club, if he's not ready. Um, and, you know, that way, and again, like I, I bring up Pissick because I'm just kind of looking through you, uh, age here he's funny enough right d right wing listed on cap friendly because florida yeah. was using him as a winger but he's a right defenseman but um you know like david savard's another name i think he'll probably ca- uh, get a bigger price though in ufa so you know probably stay away from him but like even greg patter and someone like that where it's like you can play them on the second or third pair for say 30 or 40 games next year and then if jbd's ready to go halfway through the year you don't feel bad about sitting them you know, like it's one of those guys where either, you know, and if they don't like that, they're being sad, you could probably find a trade partner for, you know, a low end asset. I wouldn't be mad if they go out and explore the um, the UFA market just so they have a backup plan, because, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. You said this earlier in the, in the podcast that they should probably be looking to take a, a step forward next year where they should at least be trying to compete for a playoff spot. You know, if they don't make, it's not the end of the world, but if they finish 27th again next year, I'm going to be pretty disappointed just in terms of an overall growth perspective and just assuming JBD is going to take a big role, you know, it's, you're, you're putting a lot of a risk into one position there. For sure. Yeah. agreed on all that. Like hopefully you don't have to put too much pressure on him, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, hopefully he's ready for that. And yeah, just honestly, just very excited to see them play. Yeah, me too. Um, the only other note I had here was the, uh, Ottawa Senators changing their goalie coach. Um, I don't really have anything to say about this uh, in terms of, I don't know what either of these guys are like. I don't know if their work is good or not. Um, I will say that firing the goalie coach, it sounded like Dorian was very, very uh, um, 
fed up with the, the goaltending right uh, this year so far. But the thing is, you know, in, in his press conference, he had mentioned, uh, um, you know, that he was, he was disappointed with some of the, the looks in the crease so far this year, and they need a fresh outlook for some stability. And like, part of me goes, yeah, I guess that's fair. But the other part of me goes, the goalie that sucked was very predictable to suck in Matt Murray. And like, I don't think Matt Murray is this bad. I don't think he's 870 bad or whatever he's been, but like, there's been two years of evidence suggesting Matt Murray is not the Stanley cup winning goalie. So even if he bounced back, like what's his peak, is it like 15th best goalie in the league or is it, you know, Stanley cup winning goalie. And I would say the first is much more likely than the latter. And um, you know, to me again, like I, I don't really feel passionate about this move at all, but like, to me, shuffling around your goaltending coach to try and get Matt Murray back on track, maybe it'll work. But to me, it just feels like it was more of a bad contract than a goaltending coaching issue. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't have too much to add on the on the situation. Like, I think I'm kind of similar, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Kind of sometimes you just kind of have to make these moves, and you know, hopefully, you know, things things get better from there. But you're right. Like, you know, Murray was kind of the main problem, and and who knows if he's able to if someone can fix him but um obviously something wasn't working so yeah yeah I mean like you know I think his thing was underwhelming throughout the crease and to be honest I didn't really realize how many games Hobart played in this year it was like 10 or 15 I was yeah. like it feels like it was only like five but he was like an 850 in those 10 games like and he was that one was fair enough too but like I would argue like Decord obviously was amazing. Gustafson in the, the short amount of time we've seen him has been amazing. And I haven't hated Forsberg's game either. I thought he's done exactly what you need him to do. Just, you know, he, I didn't think he looked very good last night against Winnipeg, but literally no one looked good against Winnipeg last night yeah. uh, as they all, so often seem to do this year. But, you know, I, I would say that three of the five goalies have been fine, but yeah, it's, it's a big problem when you're a starter and backup heading into the year, the two guys that were uh, the main issue. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining me again today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Yeah, for sure. A um, bunch of places. I mean, I'm writing for Silver 7 Sands at SB Nation. You can follow the Cost Per Point cast on you know, all the podcast apps. It'll be under Silver 7 Sands, though. Um, you can follow my Twitter at ShackTS and YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. So, yeah, a bunch of places you can find me there. Yeah, as always, I highly recommend checking those out. Uh, it's been great reading your, your writing again as you get back into it. And uh, the podcast is always must listen. So thank you so much for joining me. And I'll have, to have you on again later in the year. For sure. Yeah, it's always a pleasure coming on, Alex.